This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, September 20th, 2023. I'm Caleb Brown. One concern amid the proliferation of school choice programs throughout the United States is the possibility that the inflow of students into private schools might raise prices for private schooling across the board. Cato adjunct scholar Jason Bedrick weighs the concern. There are a lot of programs. Uh, I think daycare is one of them. Uh College education is another one where we subsidize the consumption of those goods, of those services. And the expectation is often that because we've subsidized uh, the consumption of those services, uh, the providers of those services are relatively more free to raise prices. And it's important to understand whether or not in uh, areas where school choice is on the march, where it is widely available, whether or not that is a reasonable expectation for private school tuition. So when you approach that question, where do you begin? Yeah, it's a great question. And uh, as school choice is expanding all across the country, this has been the question that a lot of policymakers have had. Uh, and it's a rational question, especially given uh, what's known as the Bennett hypothesis. Uh, so in 1987, uh, then U.S. Secretary of Education William Bennett penned an op-ed for the New York Times uh, where he uh, theorized that the increases in tuition that we were seeing f- that were far outpacing inflation were caused to uh, at least some extent, probably a great extent, by higher ed subsidies like uh, subsidized federal student loans, Pell Grants, et cetera. And uh, in the years since, I mean, this has been demonstrated in the research literature just over and over again. Uh, And uh, since 1980, you've had a 239% increase in the average tuition uh, in higher ed. And that's that's after adjusting for inflation. So, I mean, this is not just outpacing inflation, it's outpacing things like, uh, like healthcare. So that's the question. If that's the case in, in higher ed, why wouldn't K-12 be different? All right, so w- let's understand some of the differences between higher ed and K-12. Uh, one is a lot of these subsidies that are provided to students um, accrue only to public university schools. Some of them do, certainly, um, but Pell Grants can go to private institutions. The federal subsidized loans are going to private institutions as well. Uh, and, and we've seen that it's not just the tuition at uh, public universities that has increased. It's also the tuition at private universities. And so the uh, reasonable concern is that if we expand school choice, uh, you know, right now we, we subsidize uh, public schools. Uh, we should call them district schools and charter schools. And if we now extend those subsidies to the private sector, um, would we see increases in price? Okay. Uh, so that's a fundamental difference between uh, university education and K-12 education is that we already have this sort of baseline provision. Yes. Uh, and so interestingly, when we uh, when we study this, I mean, we do a few things. First, we do a very basic analysis uh, in our report, uh, which is we look at uh, the 
data from uh, an organization called Private School Review. Uh, they've got average tuition data for private schools in each state going back a decade. And so we take all the states that have had school choice program for at least 10 years, so in every year over the last decade, and we compare it against states that had no school choice over the last decade. All things being equal, you would expect if the Bennett hypothesis held in um, K-12, that the school choice states would see higher tuition inflation, in other words, higher rates of increases in tuition than the non-school choice states. But in fact, actually, the reverse is true. The states that always had school choice over the last 10 years had a 15% increase in their average private school tuition, whereas the states that never had a school choice policy saw a 26% increase. And this is a particularly pronounced for high school. It was only an 8% increase in the school choice states for high school and a 35% increase in the non-school choice states. That being said, though, there are lots of factors going on. And so you can't make a causal claim here. This is just a basic analysis. This is observational. Um, you know, so we're not, uh, you know, we can't make any causal claims based on this. Uh, but another thing that we do is say, okay, well, what about the states over the last decade that have enacted a school choice program? What did the tuition inflation look like in that state before and after? And so what we found is that you had an average of just over 2% inflation adjusted for a 2% increase in uh, private school tuition adjusted for inflation before enacting a school choice program. And in those very same states after enacting a school choice program, you had uh, an average decrease of 1.5%. Uh, but even here, now we're looking you know, at particular states and you know, there, there's what you really want to do to, is have a more sophisticated analysis that uh, looks at all states. Now, if we want to make causal claims, what we'd have to do is randomly assign some states to have school choice and some states not. They frown on it in this country because we have this thing called democracy and constitutions. And, and, and it gets in the way of ethics, social science. Academics right. have some ethics to them right. often. Gets in the way of social science, uh, fortunately. But uh, so what we can do, though, is uh, do a more sophisticated analysis that controls for what are called state fixed effects and year fixed effects. But looking at all 50 states and then isolating, you know, what's going on in the states that, that have school choice. Uh, what we find is that uh, overall, you have a decrease of about $330, uh, but it's not statistically, after adjusting for inflation, but it's not statistically significant. So really, we can't say that it's, it's any different than zero. But still, um, you know, if you're a proponent of school choice, having no uh, statistically discernible effect on tuition, I think is, is a win. And, uh, the same, we find the same for high school, for elementary school, uh, there was actually a decrease of $925. Uh, now that's not to say that tuition in those States went down $925. It's that, uh, tuition in those States were $925 less than we otherwise might have expected, right? So if let's say the average uh, increase was $1,000 uh, across the board, then in those states, it would be uh, an increase of only $75 across the board. Um, so it actually seems that um, the best evidence that we have at this point anyway, is that school choice has 
no effect on private school tuition overall, at least in the types of programs that have been uh, enacted thus far, uh, or actually has a, a small but statistically significant uh, negative effect on school on uh, private school tuition, which is a positive thing for proponents of school choice. And and the intuition there is is what that we would expect more options to come online after the adoption of some sort of school choice program, and therefore competitively, it's kind of a wash when it comes to tuition prices? Yes. Yeah, so, of course, our analysis can't tell you why, so we can only you know, right, hypothesize. But, but, right, sure. but I would say, uh, you know, one thing that we, we think about, because especially because we're looking at, at programs that have come online in recent years, you're talking about a 10-year span, we don't see massive increases in the private sector. You, you do see the private sector start to grow, but I think mostly in the early years, the effect is in existing providers. So, if the average scholarship value is greater than the marginal cost of adding one more student, um, then schools are going to have, it's going to be in their interest to add more students and they can spread the fixed costs over a larger base of students that lowers the average cost per pupil. And so if you have schools that are either mission-based uh, which you know most religious schools are, and they make up a large percentage of the private sector as it currently exists. Um, or if you have a really competitive environment, then there's going to be an incentive for the schools to pass those savings on to the parents, uh, which I think really brings us to the the larger point, which you alluded to at the very beginning of this conversation, which is that our starting point is very different, right? Uh, the higher ed system, when the when the subsidies were first introduced was much closer to a free market system than the K-12 system. And so, uh, you know, Econ 101 tells you if you subsidize something in this manner that uh, you're going to see prices go up. Um, but we're starting from a system where about 90% of kids are going to schools that are 100% subsidized by the government. And now we're extending the subsidy to some of that uh, remaining 10%. Uh, but that is, that's increasing the subsidy. So there's a subsidy effect that drives prices up, but there's also a competitive effect. You're now introducing competition into a fundamentally uncompetitive system. Competition drives prices down, you know? So, you know, the great economist, Thomas Sowell, like to say that there are no solutions. There are only trade-offs. Um, there are certainly trade-offs when it comes to policies like school choice. Uh, you are introducing a subsidy. Libertarians have a natural, uh, appropriate aversion to doing that. Um, but at the same time, you're also introducing choice and competition. You're moving closer to a market system and expanding education freedom for families. That's the sort of trade-off that I think libertarians should be willing to make. You also might expect in situations where uh, there is a robust uh, ESA program where parents can spend money from a fixed pool on different opportunities for kids that they would them themselves balance. Well, maybe it's this school combined with these other options that we're going to take advantage of. So families may very well still be very cost conscious, even when they are receiving a, a subsidy for their kids' education. Yes, and that's an important thing to note. Um, you know, our study doesn't include 
all of the programs that were enacted only in the last year, most of which have not actually started to uh, go into effect. Uh, most of the newer types of programs are ESAs, whereas the vast majority of the programs that are in our study are either uh, traditional school vouchers or tax credit scholarship programs, which, uh, you know, although public privately funded operate like a voucher, uh, in that you can, they're like coupons that you can use in one place at one time. Uh, we would expect that ESAs would have a lower effect on tuition inflation because you don't have to spend that entire, it's not like you have a coupon that I can only spend at one private school while the private school can capture that entire coupon and, and right. But now the private school is not just competing against other private schools. They're competing against tutors. They're competing against textbooks. They're competing against online courses, uh, apprenticeships, transportation, uh, transportation costs. costs, all sorts, you know, uh, fees for testing. I mean, there's a whole bunch of things that parents are doing to customize their child's education and they're competing against savings. So if the families want to save money for later expenditures, you know, because they know high school is going to be more expensive than K-12, or, you know, if you're frugal, you could even save some of the funds and, and then use it for higher ed. Uh, that is going to have also an effect of driving prices down. Jason Bedrick is an adjunct scholar at the Cato Institute and is a research fellow at the Heritage Foundation. We spoke last month in Chicago. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast wherever you please. And thank you for listening.